Hello and welcome to the next installment of Optin NYC. I am one of your hosts, Officer Joe Galetta. I am joined in studio this week by John Negron and remotely with Kayla Saber. And we also have a guest from the Civilian Complaint Review Board, or CCRB, Yohara Alvarez. Hi, everyone. Thanks so much for having me. And what is your title with CCRB? So my name is Yohara Alvarez. I'm acting uh, senior advisor to the executive director and also director of outreach and intergovernmental affairs. Can you like summarize what exactly does that title infer? Like, what do you do? I think the, the biggest umbrella I can think of is a conduit or a way of communicating with those outside of the agency. So the general public, um, elected officials, other city agencies, and really trying to get the word out. So whether that's through presentations or conversations like these, uh, to really have folks know that we're a resource for, for New Yorkers and uh, getting people to understand a little bit more about our process. So you could say that's what the organization does as a whole. As a whole, um, the agency, the the biggest part of it, the biggest component, are the investigators. So they investigate police misconduct. Uh, the whole agency is about um, 200 people in total. And our unit is pretty small comparatively. It's uh, six folks. They're uh, assigned to each borough to be that public education component. But the investigators are a majority of our workforce. So I was really excited about this episode because before be- being a part of Options, I didn't know that the CCRB existed And I feel like a lot of people in New York City also don't really know it exists. So can you go into detail about what it does and how people can get in contact with the CCRB? I would actually say um, likewise, because I've heard about the options program pretty recently. So it's really exciting to see some of the stuff that you've all been working on. So uh, what we do, um, so we're a city agency. We investigate allegations of police misconduct. So we investigate allegations um, of Force, abuse of authority, discourtesy, and offensive language. Uh, So force can mean if force is used in interaction, we would investigate it to see if it was too much, if it was excessive given the, quote, like, totality of the circumstances. Um, Abuse of authority is a pretty big category, so that can include anything from an improper stop, an improper search, um, a police officer entering a house without a warrant, um, a police officer threatening to call ICE, etc., Uh, With discourtesy, we investigate allegations of um, inappropriate use of profanity, a police officer asking for my ID. I give it back to her, but upon returning it, they like throw it on the ground. And then the last category is offensive language. So that's language that inappropriately refers to my race, my ethnicity, my sexual orientation, my religion, my disability status. That alone, um, I just learned like so much like that one, that one statement, because it's like, Consistently, day to day, unfortunately, you do hear people complain about a lot of the things you mentioned. And as Kayla said, I don't think the people complaining about it are informed enough to know that there's somewhere they can go to give these complaints and to give these experiences to possibly enact change. And I don't think enough people know that. So thank you for that. No, that's great. I think even to look at it in a holistic way, um, how we talk about that conversation is, you know, when I talk about force, I ask everyone, I'm like, is a police officer allowed to use force? And people are confused about that concept, right? They're somewhere like, yes, no. And as you know, uh, Officer Galetti. Galetta. Galetta. You're um, close. <laughs> is that it depends, right? So that's also important to share. But the thing for that's relevant to us is, you know, if they feel like misconduct occurred, they can, like you said, John, go to somewhere and like we can investigate that to see w- what happened. But how familiar are you with our rules and regulations as the department to know 
were we within our rights to use force? Were we able to, like, how familiar with that are you? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so pretty familiar. So uh, we, you know, the public patrol guide, which is the document that police officers use um, when being trained to be a police officer, we get uh, complete access to that, although it's a, also a public document. Whenever it gets updated, we get um, that information as well. The investigators themselves um, have a really robust uh, training where they go over the patrol guide, our guidelines, how to conduct investigations, how to conduct interviews. Um, they go on ride-alongs with uh, police officers, and it's a really robust um, process. And they also don't just, you know, dive into more difficult cases. We have uh, we have uh, investigators that are paired with mentors. They have attorneys on staff, um, folks that have been at the agency for, you know, literally decades. So there's a lot of wealth of information that we that we try to equip folks with. Um, in certain situations, we've gone to the academy and, uh, you know, participated in some of the trainings. I've participated in um, like a taser training to get a kind of a more robust idea of that. So it's... Yeah, we want to be as informed as possible. Do you know anyone within the CCRB that might have been a cop or wanted to be a cop? Like, is that something that's like allowed? So uh, because it's a civilian uh, agency, um, all staff um, cannot currently be members of service. But for our board that governs the entire agency, we're governed by a 15 member board. So five are appointed by the mayor. Five are appointed by the city council, and the city council appoints one representing each of the five boroughs. We have um, uh, one that's uh, appointed by the public advocate. Our chair is jointly appointed by the mayor and the city council. But we also have three that are appointed by uh, the NYPD. So they have a really robust history of being on the force, uh, being, you know, some have, you know, 20, over 20 years of experience. And what's important to note is that once we conduct a full investigation, you know, we talked about the investigators, um, we can determine, you know, the outcomes of those investigations, which we'll talk about in a minute, uh, then it goes, every case goes to the board for the final, um, they're the final uh, decision makers on if they feel that misconduct occurred in those situations. And each panel consists of three board members, uh, three three board members representing uh, one of the three different categories, but each panel has a representative from the department on there. So you have that extra pair of eyes to make sure that, um, you know, the work is being done thoroughly. That's interesting because that goes into another one of my questions with bias and how um, you guys are able to remain unbiased um, either in favor of civilians or in favor of officers. So is there some kind of training that helps you guys do that? It's twofold, right? So zooming all the way back and out, we all carry bias. So um, that's something, you know, the department has been reckoning with, uh, we've been reckoning with, and, you know, folks throughout the city have been really considering. So uh, folks on, st uh, all s investigators have uh, had uh, implicit bias training. So first and foremost, to kind of, uh, dislodge some of our perceptions and have uh, people, you know, just think about that critically. But then also when it comes to the cases, it's so important for us to remain impartial and uh, approach these cases by, you know, the thing that's the most important to everyone, which is evidence, right? So we use a preponderance... Um, uh, preponderance of evidence? Yes. There you go. Thank you. <laughs> Standard. So what that means, if we don't reach that threshold then we can't really make a decision based off of the merits and the evidence. So that's a, that's another way of, of doing that. And like I mentioned, there are going to be a couple of, uh, you know, 
there are going to be eyes at every stage in this process to make sure that, you know, there's quality control, that folks are really trying to go where the evidence leads them. Uh, not everyone's perfect, but we really try to, to adhere by that. I know me personally, I've heard like the phrase implicit bias training multiple times. I don't think I've ever actually had it explained to me. So can you take a little bit of time to explain that to me? I don't know what that is. I might not be the one, John. Okay. <laughs> but it is, um, it's something to, uh, there's a series of exercises and it's led by, you know, um, trained uh, trained folks in this field um, that uh, provide different scenarios for uh, the participants on what their initial gut instinct is when in response to a certain situation. So, um, you know, it could be that, oh, I didn't know that I immediately thought that, you know, um, this person was going to go pick up their kid and I assumed it was the mother as opposed to the father. That's a very bad example, but just some of the implicit um, assumptions that we make when when giving given very limited information. So the training is to kind of inform the person and make them aware that this bias does exist in you so you could try to change it. Okay, okay. Because I was wondering, how do you train someone kind of not to be, because it's like the gut instinct, as you said. So that's interesting. Thank you. So I just wanted to know about kind of your story and how you got involved with this CCRB um, and what kind of made you want to be a part of the organization? I like my background is super varied. Like I worked in restaurants. Um, like I was talking to to Jason beforehand. I love art. <laughs> so it was a very kind of um, different approach. And I was in college and it was the first time I'd heard about the CCRB when it came to stop and frisk. I think it was during the uh, you know, uh, Floyd litigation, talking about, you know, that issue in, in the city. And I realized that I really wanted to, you know, be at a job that um, really dealt with. <laughs> uh, that Sounds really, of the city. <laughs> New York City. Um, that actually served New Yorkers, speaking of New York, right? Um, and it, I thought it was a really great opportunity to, to, you know, meet with civilians because it was the outreach unit that I started with. Um, and I really wanted to, you know, share information with with folks and be a part of that conversation. How does one exactly get in contact with the CCRB? Because I know um, officers have like a card that you can use to contact the officer or request certain things. So is there a card for the CCRB that's like in the possession of the officer? Like if we make a complaint as an officer, give me a card that belongs to you guys. Like how does that work? Well, so there's um, a couple of different ways. If, if you're talking about the business card, um, so that's through the Right to Know Act. So, um, uh, you know, if I interact with a police officer, I can always request that business card and they're supposed to give it to me. On the back, you'll find a place to leave a comment. It's 311. That's where they direct you to. Um, so, and if, you know, I were to interact with a civilian and they were to ask me, hey, how do I reach the CRB? Say a similar thing. You can reach us by dialing through and one, everyone's favorite number. But we have other ways as well. You can call us directly at 1 800 341 CCRB or 1 800 341 2272 on our website. Uh, so nyc.gov uh, backslash CCRB. Folks can file the complaint straight there. Uh, folks can come to our office, 100 Church Street, 10th floor in Manhattan, uh, zip code 10007. Uh, folks can also uh, write us a letter um, and directly at the address I just mentioned. And that's important for folks that, you know, uh, may not have access to the other other modes of communicating with us. And also folks can uh, file a complaint directly at a precinct. So we've uh, gone to all precincts in New York 
um, toured, toured the city, toured the boroughs, and dropped off um, posters so folks can see it when they come in. Uh, also self-addressed envelopes so I could, you know, walk into a precinct, um, request to make a complaint. They can print out a form and I can mail it directly or they can take the, the complaint right there at the at the precinct. And the, the complaint that you're making and you're going to a precinct, does the precinct have to be specific to the officer you're making the complaint against or it could be any precinct throughout the five boroughs? Any precinct throughout the five boroughs. Okay. Can you talk about a general situation that may arise where um, a civilian would have to make a complaint about an officer and how the CCRB would help remedy that situation? So I can speak to it in in more of uh, the abstract. Um, so I talked about a little bit about investigations, how you know someone can file a complaint. If it falls up within our jurisdiction, it'll be investigated. There's also another route. Um, if it's eligible, we could also recommend mediation which is a very restorative justice approach to um, uh, mending relations with police and individuals on a, and civilians on a more individual basis. So for example, um, you know, uh, we've heard uh, folks at the agency file a complaint um, and they want to, you know, they just want to sit across the table and have a conversation with the officer. You know, uh, why did you stop me? Um, you know, I've been in this you know community for 20 years. I would really just want you know a better understanding of what what transpired, and the police officer then also has an opportunity to share their side of the story. You know, it could be that um, they did get um, a call about uh, someone matching the, the description, or they were having a bad day and they want to apologize for what transpired. The important thing about these mediations um, are a couple of things. It's confidential, so. Uh, you know, what is actually said and exchanged with those two people. Um, it's it's between those two people and a trained mediator, which is even a, another layer of impartiality. It's a third party. So we hire um, uh, independent mediators to come in and facilitate that conversation. And what I can say about those instances is, statistically speaking, close to 90% of the civilians that go through mediation find that to be successful. And that success is determined by them. They feel that they were heard. They feel that they've received an apology. Um, but because it's also confidential, it also means that it doesn't appear on the police officer's um, disciplinary record. So it's a really safe place to, to alleviate uh, those kinds of concerns. And with that, let's take a moment to pause and thank our sponsors. And we're back. Now, I wanted to go into a little bit... Um, personal story here that i actually had a ccrb complaint made against me uh, it was all unfounded it was none of it turned out to be true but basically um a, a daughter called on her mother she was missing we went to her house we did our investigation um found the mother everything was fine um but the mother made a complaint against me saying we were trying to break into her house to steal files off of her computer um luckily the daughter who called i don't know if it was your agency that followed up with her but the daughter said, no, 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 the officers were great. They were polite, super helpful, um, and everything turned out to be unfounded. When it comes to allegations like that, uh, what I tell folks is, you know, when people think complaint, they sometimes think that it's like a Yelp review, that just by filing a complaint means that, you know, this establishment is bad or that this officer is bad and they're committing misconduct. And going back to the question before about trying to remain impartial and um, approach things uh, with with some neutrality, it is by, you know, uh, concluding, making conclusions based off of where the evidence leads us. 
So, you know, we would be robust and thorough to determine, you know, if an allegation is made against a police officer, it's one of four outcomes. It could be substantiated, which means that there's sufficient credible evidence that the misconduct occurred. Um, so that means, you know, I'm alleging an improper stop, an improper stop happened. Exonerated, which means we conducted this full investigation. We interviewed the police officers. We got uh, body-worn camera footage, uh, footage from the local bodega in front of where the incident took place. We interviewed everyone involved. And we found that, yeah, the that this uh, interaction did occur, but that officer's conduct was within the guidelines of the patrol guide, et cetera. So that's important to note, too, that someone filing a complaint doesn't necessarily mean that misconduct occurred, so that's exonerated. There's unsubstantiated, which means we conducted a, f we couldn't, we, there wasn't sufficient credible evidence for us to really know exactly what went on. We, in good conscience, the evidence didn't lead us to a conclusion on what happened. We're not saying that, you know, misconduct did occur, did not occur. It's just categorizing it as there's, we couldn't get there. And that's also important to know. Again, right? It is what it is. And then unfounded is just what you were getting at before is an allegation where, you know, I'm a uh, civilian alleges something and we conduct a full robust investigation. The evidence leads us to that allegation didn't occur at all. And that's also important to know, right? So, you know, it's one thing to have a hearsay about some, you know, really serious misconduct, but it's important to note that, you know, that's not what happened. If someone were to make, say, like a, a really big allegation against a police officer and then it comes out to be exonerated was the word you used, is there a process? Like if a, if a civilian makes a, a bad allegation against a cop and it's like nowhere near true and this cop could have lost his entire career or even been endangered or something, is there a penalty that the civilian faced? Like is there, is there a system for that? If there is, is that within your control, without your control? Like how does that work? Yeah, so... It wouldn't get to the point where uh, the evidence has to reach that standard. So there wouldn't be a situation um, where a serious allegation is made and, um, uh, you know, it's that we, I would hope not. Right. If a serious allegation is made, we find that misconduct occurred then the disciplinary process unfolds, right? Which ultimately lies with the police commissioner to terminate that police officer, um, if that was what you were getting at. But when it comes to a civilian filing an unfounded um, allegation, that's not nearly, that's a, that's a fraction of the amount of complaints that we receive. And uh, those uh, unfounded complaints, they're not, you know, always out of a malicious intent. Um, again, it's really important to categorize them but going back to, you know, why the agency came to be, it was because the city wanted some accountability for misconduct and police officers. From and outside so, of the NYPD. Right. From outside of the NYPD, trying to be neutral and unbiased and having the evidence lead them to it. So that's kind of our lane, right, is to really just focus on those complaints and if, mis if, it's, if misconduct is uh, occurring within the department. Is there like... I don't want to say like keeping track, but if like one person keeps making unfounded, unfounded, unfounded complaints, is there any system like that of like you, boy who cried wolf, like you stop taking it seriously or do you always have to investigate? We have a really robust uh, data tracking um, process. So uh, from the complaints that are filed, uh, the police officers, the complaints against them, um, we don't immediately dismiss um, something like that. We do want to just treat every situation, you know, with 
the fresh pair of eyes and have the evidence lead us to it. And again, it, with those repeat um, offenders, um, it's not to say that it never happens, but it's such a small situation. Sure. Um, but the appropriate folks know, you know, some of the backgrounds for that. Can you give like a rough percentage of how many um, cases you receive are eventually found to be unfounded or unsubstantiated um, versus like how mu- how many do have a, pr- a preponderance of evidence that you investigated? So um, with the dispositions, this is from our 2019 uh, annual report, uh, the most recent figures of, of a whole year. So we have substantiated um, allegations, uh, 24% of our cases uh, are substantiated. Um, exoneration uh, is uh, 22%. Uh, unfounded has stayed uh, relatively the same over the years, which is about 8%. And the unsubstantiation rate um, is 39%. Basically, you don't have enough evidence. We don't have enough evidence uh, to say that this definitively happened the way that... Um, that it was relayed or the allegations. So it's not to say that it, it's not a, a lie. Yes, you don't. You, you can't make a correct judgment that would be fair to both yeah, parties. Yeah, we can in good faith say that this this happened the way it did. I think that's that's something that's uh, always consistently kind of a, for lack of better words, a battle between civilians and department. Like, how can we keep track of exactly what's happening, thus the body-worn cameras, et cetera? Um, one, do you think the body-worn, I feel like this is an easy answer, do you think the body-worn cameras was like a, a, a step forward in finding this? And what, you know, if if you could fix all the problems, what would be your next solution to kind of being able to know what happens, how it happens, et cetera, to kind of get that 50% lowered, to get that definitive answer? So I think, you know, the basic line, not the basic line, almost like a cliche now is uh, sunlight is uh, the best disinfectant so like just more information the better on all sides right so it is getting um, access to as much evidence that's relevant to these cases as possible uh, so that we want the decisions to be based off of the merits so even in these exonerated cases that we were talking about that um, the incident occurred but the police officer was within the guidelines that usually um is because of, you know, things like the body-worn camera footage that we receive that really allows us to paint a better picture and really definitively say, hey, this actually happened this other way. Um, uh, this, this happened, but it was in, within the within the guidelines. So more, you know, um, access to information and will just benefit everyone involved, right? So because we don't want that, you know, question mark to be lingering over anybody's head on what exactly transpired. So it's folks filing um, a complaint if they feel like misconduct occurred as soon as as soon as they've experienced it to get, as you know, fresh evidence from, again, like a bodega because some evidence gets erased pretty quickly. Um, it's also, you know, getting access to body-worn camera footage and a uh, uh, reliable and um, efficient manner. It just helps everyone in that process. Is there a time limit for filing complaints? Like if a civilian wants to make an allegation from 10 years ago on an officer, is that do you guys still take those? We have a standard um, statute of limitations of 18 months with uh, from the time that the incident occurred for someone to file a complaint. But there's a crime exception. So if I'm alleging, um, you know, uh, that a crime... There was a You're right, crime right. involved, right? Um, that would be that would be lifted, but yeah. and you kind of touched on this a little, but uh, the CCRB was created specifically for New York City, correct? Yeah. 
So is there any plans to maybe expand it to a national level? So we have jurisdiction only over NYPD, but not just everyone who works for NYPD, only uniformed members of service. So we don't have jurisdiction over school safety officers, uh, traffic um, officers, et cetera. So that's kind of our lane. Uh, and that is uh, determined by, you know, local law charter. Uh, there are organizations um, there is one organization that uh, provides a resource for civilian oversight bodies nationwide. It's called NICOL. So it stands for National Association uh, for Civilian uh, for Oversight of Civilians and Law. Acronyms don't always make things easier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, National Association for Civilians of Oversight of Law Enforcement. But last week we had an oversight panel uh, with uh, some other oversight bodies in New York City that oversee the police department. So it's, it was um, CCPC, um, Office of the Inspector General through the Department of Investigations. Um, and they each have their jurisdiction as well, as well as, you know, internal bodies of internal affairs. So uh, as of now, you know, we're just working in our lane to try to get, uh, make sure that our investigations are thorough and complete and have everything that we need to make um, some really sound findings and, and serve uh, New Yorkers. But we hope that some of the things that we're doing become a, mo- a model for um, different oversight bodies uh, throughout the country. I was reading an article about the CCRB, and it stated that um, the majority of complaints um, are either not fully investigated or end up being um, unfounded or substantiated. Um, so is it true that they aren't fully investigated all the time? And if so, why would they not be? So one of the issues that we've had is that some civilians uh, file a complaint and then don't follow through with the process. So, um, you know, the theme of of today is is really about uh, evidence and not just based off of hearsay. So we want to have the civilian come in and give their side of the story. And if we can't get them to come in um, and provide a sworn statement or, you know, uh, right now we've been doing that virtually, then we really can't proceed and in good faith even close that investigation because we didn't really complete a thorough, um, a thorough analysis of what, of what occurred. So that's one of our biggest, um, biggest hurdles is building that trust. We do have um, a Blake fellow. Um, uh, if you may have remembered James Blake is, was a t- is a tennis player, and he had um, an interaction with a police officer where he was uh, tackled to the ground. He was misidentified as another person. It went to um, the law department, and um, they decided to build this fellowship program for uh, the next few years to really investigate this issue that you just brought up. Like, why are people filing a complaint but not following through with the process? So we're really trying to look at, you know, how we communicate with civilians, what would facilitate that process, and make that um, and make that uh, better for all. And then a, a follow up. So if a civilian goes in and they make the complaint, and then they kind of follow up, but then they leave it alone, they still have that eighteen months to kind of continue the process. If they come in and they, uh, if we get that sworn statement, it should be enough for us to to proceed. But you know, if there might be after we speak to the police officer, there's a follow up conversation that we might want to have, and we can we can you know follow up with that with that civilian. And 
I'm speaking in broad strokes <laughs> because yeah. these complaints, everything, every complaint is so particular right. and unique. Um, but if that complaint was, and that initial complaint was within the 18 months, that's what we're working on. And we're trying to, to get that uh, completed as soon as possible. And does anything happen to the, the officer? Like basically, so now the investigation is happening, the investigation is on the way. Is there like this umbrella placed over this officer? Like, are they limited to their duties? Are they still on the streets? Like what, what happens while the investigation is happening? For, um, I can only speak for us. Yeah. Um, there's still due process, right? Like, so we we do want to, you know, we we will share the outcome of the of the investigation with the department, with the officer, with the civilian. Um, so anything that happens in the interim, that's that's outside of our lane. We can, at the end of the day, only really recommend discipline, regardless, right? So um, it's something that uh, you know. We hope everyone adheres to. And with that said, there are also, you know, concurrent investigations. So, you know, so there could be an internal affairs or the district attorney is taking it on. So there are different things that could happen depending on the situation. Have you guys seen a spike in complaints um, when things happen in the media involving the police? I can't speak to the specific, like, data and conclusively say that that's the case. Um, But I can say that, you know, there can be multiple factors. So uh, it could be uh, our outreach efforts and let people know that we even exist. It could also be um, how people are, uh, you know, watching uh, protests or allegations of misconduct. And, you know, if multiple people are filing a complaint regarding the same instance. Like for example, during the summer when um, the uh, protest occurred, we received multiple complaints over, um, you know, a specific incident. So there were around like, at at one point about 750 complaints over 250 incidences. So uh, folks, uh, you know, could be doubling up on on a single experience. Maybe I could clarify something. So if, let's take for instance, Jason stops John on the street and I witness it. Can I make a complaint saying that Jason was acting out of order, even if John doesn't? So how is that followed up on? Is it just based on what I see then? Do you try to find John and get his side? We absolutely try to find John and get get his side. Um, And I didn't try to identify the police officers, which were pretty good at um, providing, you know, that if we find the shield number, uh, doing um, a photo array and identifying officers that way. But yeah, again, we want to have a really robust way of, of figuring out. It can't just be on the face value of, a, of the witness. All right. Well, I would like to thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. It's been uh, an eye-opening. I learned a lot. I know uh, our other hosts have learned a lot, and I hope our listeners have learned a lot as well same thank you for listening and for opting in with us make sure you like and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts rate us five stars if you can 10 if you can depending on the rating system just as many stars as you can give us i am officer joe galetta for john for kayla for yohara and the ccrb thank you for opting in tune in next week